innovative, often duplicated. When enough people get on the trend, I elevate it, make it way harder for them to follow what I take. It hard to swallow like a lozenger lodged in your trachea. Goodness gracious, bruh, I can never make this up. So just take your stuff, rake it up, and take the bus. Never fake the funk, you painted skunks. You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space, so the weight is up. Fight. W-H-U-P-L-P, Hillsboro, North Carolina, the center of the known world. This is the Cage Side Concussion Cast. Once again, we are telling you the untold stories of martial arts in the Carolinas and beyond. My name is Jeff Shaw, and we have a packed show this week. We're talking mixed martial arts. We're talking pro-MMA returning to the triangle. We're talking Brazilian jiu-jitsu with the IBJJF coming to North Carolina. We're talking about submission grappling with a submission-only event in Elizabeth City yesterday. We will get to all that and our featured interview with Hoist Gracie Black Belt Steve Hall later on. But first, I want to introduce... It, first, it's a celebration, ladies and gentlemen. It's a celebration because our one and only intern, Chris, has chosen to advance his higher education, and he's gotten into a couple of august institutions of higher learning. So in celebration of that, joining me for the whole show today, it's going to be intern Chris Rivoli. How are you doing, Chris? I'm good. Excellent. So tell us about um, tell us about where you got in. I just got into UN, um, UNC Wilmington and East Carolina University, so I'm really excited about that. And... I'll officially know where I'm going between those two schools by the end of the month. So and That's awesome, man. Congratulations. We're all really psyched for you, and uh, we're sure that your work on the show was a key factor in getting you oh, into both sure. of those schools. You know, There's a lot of the, a lot of listeners at UNC Wellington of the Cage Side Concussion Cast. Oh, really? I big fans. Big fans. Evolution? Yeah, I'm sure they're going to sponsor us. No, I just meant the <laughs> university. You know, the, pro, oh, the yeah. provost, the dean, <laughs> they tune in. But, you know, you mentioned something that's kind of interesting, which is I find when I travel, even for work or for pleasure— I always think about where I'm going to train. And so I imagine that's a factor in your decision making as well in terms of like where you're going to go to school. Is that is that correct? Mm-hmm. For sure. Me and Trevor, we're talking about that a lot between training at Evolution in Wilmington or where I would even get training in Greenville. And um, we were talking between ECU always has um, club wrestling and club boxing. And then we were comparing that to Wilmington with the guys at Evolution. And there's, you know, they're always producing great fighters out of there. So I think... Just training-wise, I would probably have better training at Wilmington. Yeah, and let's say some nice things about Evolution, because those guys are awesome anyway. They produce really great jiu-jitsu fighters, for one thing, Nova Uniao jiu-jitsu, and they produce a lot of MMA fighters. They get really good black belts that train mm-hmm. there. Um, but but additionally, uh, you, you know, let's talk about the larger part of this, and that you've been doing this, little, little, you've been doing Muay Thai a little under a year now? About six months. About yeah. six months. And it's already such a part of your life that you're thinking about, you know, when you take that next step in your life, how is this going to fit in? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really cool. Exciting stuff for you. Exciting stuff for us. It's always nice when uh, when our, our show alums go on to do great things. Uh, and so we're coming to you live as always on 104.7 FM and streaming live on whipfm.org. We're very excited today to have a featured interview with Hoist Gracie Black Belt Steve Hall. Steve is a second degree black belt, one of the earliest black belts in North Carolina, one of the earliest Hoist Gracie black belts, and a guy with some great stories. Now, I interviewed him uh, yesterday at the Hoist Gracie Network gathering at Forged Fitness in Raleigh, North Carolina. I want to thank Billy Dowie for organizing that and for inviting us out. 
Um, for all you guys that train at Hoist Gracie Network Schools, apparently they're going to try and do this about once a month at various places where the network schools exist in the area. It was in Raleigh this time. They're planning on doing the next one in Charlotte in about a month. So two things about that. First of all, when we have the date of the next training gathering, uh, we'll pass it along to you. Uh, so that if you do train at a Hoist Network School, you can get out there. Uh, there are a bunch of guys, a bunch of really good guys that I didn't get a chance to roll with, uh, unfortunately, because I was under the weather, which is a bummer. Um, but I think it's a really great thing to get the, get the family together, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to do that more in the future and all around the state. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about, you know, I had a really good interview with Steve that we're going to dedicate the second half of the show to. And so I'm looking forward to playing that for you. Uh, but first, we're going to summarize, me and Chris, some martial arts news from the weekend. Um, if we missed anything, please let us know. We're on Twitter and Instagram at CagesideWHUP. You can shout us out with the hashtag CagesideWhoop as well, or get at us via email, CagesideWHUP at gmail.com. We're on Facebook at Cageside Radio, and all of this information is always on our show page at whoopfm.org. Also, a quick show note, folks. Pretty exciting stuff to report. So our last two shows have been far and away our most popular. Like, we really saw a huge spike in listeners. And so, first of all, welcome to all of you new folks. Uh, we want to thank you guys for checking out the show. And I want to point out that you can check out all of our show archives. So you, if you enjoyed our last two shows, which were interviews with Tony Casares and uh, Dewan Owens and, and Cody Malte, if you, interviewed, if you enjoyed those shows, then uh, you can check out our archives on iTunes, on Stitcher, and on SoundCloud. All of the shows are archived up there. Um, I also want to say uh, you can check out the archive, generally speaking, at whoopfm.org. Some of the shows get pulled down eventually, but all the shows are archived at SoundCloud and iTunes. So I want to say thank you to everyone who listens. We have a blast making the show, so it's great that people are listening to us. So if you do want to help us out and help the show grow further, please share our episodes. Please leave us reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook. And we'll keep trying to report what's going on in the scene. And it's great to have you along with us. So we're going to start a new segment right now. And in order to do that, uh, you we're going to hear from one of our guests of those last two real popular shows, Cody Malte. I don't consider myself, you know, like, oh, I do martial arts in my spare time. I'm a fighter all the time, and even if I'm not fighting, that, that 100% drives who I am as a human. It's the Cage Side Concussion Cast on WHUPFM.org. So the big thing that happened this weekend, Pro MMA returned to the Triangle with the Next Level Fight Club MMA event in Raleigh last night, and both Chris and I were there. Uh, Chris, uh, do you want to share your general impressions of that event? I thought it was really good. The... Um the grappling matches threw me off because I wasn't aware at the time that three people didn't make weight, but those were still fun to watch, and I forgot his name, but I've, the first heavyweight fight I thought was really, really good, but unfortunately it got stopped short because mm. of an eye poke, but I think that would have been the best fight if that went on, and just all around I thought it was really good. Yeah, there, so there were six total fights. There were supposed to be nine. Unfortunately, three guys didn't make weight, and we'll, uh, we'll talk about that, me and Chris, in a second. There were two really entertaining grappling matches as well. Uh, so I agree with you that, that that fight with Alan Crowder. Was, Alan Crowder, that's what it was. Yeah, Alan Crowder. He's local, right? He is local. Yeah. Um, the pretty boy, Alan Crowder. <laughs> um, he, you know, big, big fight, you know, between two 260-pound guys. Mm-hmm. And a lot of activity, a lot of action, a lot of heavyweight fights are sometimes slow and plotting. Right. But both of those guys were very in real, shape. They really, were in shape, yeah. athletic, went after it. There was, you know, so the way the fight ended, unfortunately, and I agree with you that that, you know, had there been a fight of the night awarded, that would have been the one. So Crowder uh, shot a double on his opponent, pushed him up in the cage, right. was able to get those tree trunk legs out from under him, mm-hmm. and was doing some significant damage via ground and pound. And unfortunately, 
accidental eye poke. Right. Doctor comes into the cage, and the, the safety of the fighters always has to be paramount. And so the guy didn't look like he could see out of the, out of that eye. Yeah. And so the doctor waved the fight off, which uh, was a was a disappointment. But you know, you never want to see somebody get injured. Yeah. At the end, they were talking about possibly a rematch, which I which I think would be great. That would be really exciting to see. But who knows what will happen from then? Yeah. I mean, I think both people. But, but you know, I think fans that that were looking at that uh, would would enjoy that rematch. It was a, it was a Really entertaining fight up to that point. Both guys had offense, yeah. and uh, and Crowder was on top. Looked like he was doing serious work, but yeah. un- unfortunately, you never see like to see a fight end like that. But sometimes that happens. So I, w- I want to mention the grappling matches as well. And I don't know what they had planned vis-a-vis the grappling matches, but I think the way that it wound up working out, I would have liked to see more MMA fights. I would have liked to see right. all three of those yeah. guys make weight. And I'm really disappointed for our friend Daniel Branch, who once again <laughs> didn't yeah. get to fight. He's <laughs> unfortunate. Been, I know it's, it's a bummer because you, you see what the guys, not just Daniel, but all these guys, and congrats on your purple, Dan, by the way. Yeah, he just got his purple belt at Gracie Raleigh as well. So a, a high variance week for him, yeah. <laughs> you know, up and down. <laughs> but, like, you see what the fighters go through to cut weight, to make weight for these fights, and it's just so disappointing when... So first he, do, he goes through all that. Yeah. Then the show gets moved to the snow and ice. Right. And then, okay, well, we've got a new date. And, okay, I'm ready to fight. I'm down at 170, yeah. lean and mean, ready to do work. And, ah, opponent didn't yeah. make way. They actually, he was talking on in the octagon. He was, you know, he was saying, yeah, I did everything perfectly, and it's just unfortunate that that happens. There's nothing he could have done about it, so... Yeah, you know, it's a, it's just an unfortunate situation. Uh, but to get back, the, the one point that I wanted to... I want to make... Two points, at least, about this card, uh, and maybe maybe we'll talk a little longer than we plan on about this. Um, so, I like it as a jujitsu guy when there's grappling matches interspersed with MMA fights. I mm-hmm. feel it kind of gives the fans a different look. Yeah. Even as a jujitsu fan, I'm a huge jujitsu fan. I uh, I I would not want to see. Like an MMA crowd watching jujitsu can be kind of dicey, yeah. Because a lot of times they don't know what's going on, and so mm-hmm. they're like, "Oh, this is boring. These guys are just hugging each other," and and that's not what's going on. Both right. of the jujitsu matches were pretty fast, fast paced, and entertaining. Mm-hmm. But like, I like I, I think having two is is about right because you can start the ma- the night off with one, yeah. and then cut it with one at the interview. And as it happened, both of the jujitsu matches I thought were really good. Uh, Eugene Kabanu, had, who has a super fight with my roommate Alex Cummings coming up soon. Uh, won his match against Evan from Gracie Raleigh by armbar. That was mm-hmm. a that was a good match. He's he's a good bit bigger than Evan. Um, and then Harold Hubbard, a friend of mine, trains at Chapel Hill mm-hmm. Gracie Jiu Jitsu. Won actually by Gogo Plata. That was the Nogi fight, right? <laughs> that was the Nogi right. fight. And here's what's funny is like the whole week prior, I'd been talking to some some novice Jiu Jitsu people, mm-hmm. making fun of the Gogo Plata, <laughs> and, and, and then sincerely, simply because it's like it's such a rare thing to have happen. For those of you that aren't that, that aren't familiar with it. You can check it out on YouTube, but it's a very low percentage submission where which is a, it's a shin choke where you're on your back usually, and you put your shin in front of the guy's neck and, and you, you just put it push his head down. Yeah, pull down, it, yeah. pull his head down, and he chokes, and and uh, that's what Harold did. So uh, you know, it, and it was it was just a, a strange coincidence that I've been talking to a lot of our kids in our fundamentals class, not our kids, our, our people in our fundamentals classes, about like yeah, don't do this. You know, learn hip bumps, learn kimuras, learn guillotines right. and stuff like that. The stuff that actually works. And then they're all at the fights, and they're like, "Was that a gogo plata?" I was like, "Yes," <laughs> <laughs> you know. So, so that was strange. Um, I do. I feel like we have to talk about the main event, unfortunately, and I honestly don't want to talk about the main event because right. <laughs> I'm I'm hugely disappointed. You know, it's no secret that Dewan is a good friend of the show and a good friend of mine. And like, so Dewan Owens was in the main event. You know, last minute opponent change. Um, and uh, you know, unfortunately, and you know, Chris, as as a striker, I'd be interested in your perspective on on this on the end of the fight. It's my perspective on the fight. So Dewan clearly won round one. Uh, yeah. He uh, he was uh, winning the striking exchanges, ended up taking him down, getting on top, past mm-hmm. the guy's guard. 
and was for the last maybe minute of the of the first round laying significant ground and pound damage on him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Dewan on top is, is a very difficult guy to get off of you. Oh, for sure. And in the second round, it was a closer round. It was took, took place entirely on the feet. And Dewan was, I think, winning those striking exchanges too, but the mm-hmm. margin was a lot a lot slimmer. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I thought Dewan won the first two rounds. It sounds like you, you mm-hmm. thought yeah, so Yeah, I well. agree. Um, I, when I was watching it, I was really – it was just cool to watch because he that was the one fight where – Dewan was doing techniques that me and Trevor t- would train every week where, you know, the second Dewan would check, he would fire back with the kick, which was really cool to watch because me and Trevor just trained that every day, which was cool. Yeah. And like, and, you know, I thought, you know, I, I'm certainly not a striking expert, but Dewan's Muay Thai is always very crisp. And when yeah. he's and when he's and Dewan's really fun to watch because he throws a lot of really a- athletic acrobatic techniques yeah. with a lot of the sort of b-boy footwork mm-hmm. and uh, and when he's and, and he he comes in and out pop 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 really easily it was throwing, he, i thought he was throwing some really effective body kicks yeah there some really a lot effective of teeps stuff. and push kicks and stuff fully and, and so unfortunately um at the in the third round with about a minute and 15 seconds to go dewan got clipped in an exchange and he was stunned and he went down and the referee stopped the fight. And I, I thought, you know, and Dewan, you know, Dewan posted a really classy message. Uh, you know, Dewan's always, you know, I mean, he's such a good guy, you know, and, yeah. and it just it breaks my heart. It's always it's hard, you know, to take a step back for a second. It's always harder for me to watch my friends lose than to lose myself, yeah, especially sure. somebody that's like a high level pro fighter like Dewan who really puts his heart and soul into training. Mm-hmm. And so he posted a, ter- a terrific message where he says, you know, I thought it was a bit of an early stoppage, but. Every fighter thinks it was a bit of an early stoppage when they get yeah. stopped. I did not think it was an early stoppage, to be honest with you. It mm-hmm. looked like, you know, I thought that the ref stepped in at a good time to stop Dewan from taking more damage. And I think, right. and from my perspective, was it was just one of those things where he got caught and he got yeah. clipped and he was stunned and that happens. And could, could the fight have gone on longer? I think so, but I think it was a good stoppage. Yeah, I agree. I think it was a good stoppage too, but it was unfortunate. Like when you watched it for the first time, the fight was over and Dewan seemed fine so oh, yeah it goes back and forth with that but i think i think all around the ref did a good job it was just unfortunate that he got caught with that yeah for sure and i thought the re- like i mean the refereeing is a hard job it's for difficult sure. you have to make these split second decisions that that affect people's health and mm. livelihood right and yeah. like you know because these are pro fighters and and i thought the, you know larry carter's a tremendous ref he was tra- uh, he wasn't refing the main event but like but i thought it was a good call i thought i think people get on the refs a lot and 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 it's not necessarily justified but but i wanted to return to something you said dewan did seem fine right afterward yeah. which is great mm-hmm. but i think that shows once right. again the function of a good ref exactly. where you don't want to let a guy take three or four or five shots that he doesn't have to take exactly so you know it, it, it you know I am I'm really disappointed for Dewan uh, you know the 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 uh, the event you know I know he was excited about this event to bring you know pro MMA back to Raleigh I know he wanted to come out with a W but I also know that every time Dewan uh, has a setback he comes back stronger mm-hmm. and so you know I was disappointed and you know nobody likes to lose especially not a high level pro MMA fighter and all you know all of us that that love Dewan uh, were disappointed for him but we know he's going to be back even better. Mm-hmm, for sure i just i actually didn't know that he had a opponent switch last second you said yeah like a lot in the last week i think his and uh yeah so and you know i, I mean again no excuses you know you, right. you 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 have to fight who they put in front of you mm-hmm. um and but yeah congratulations to the to the other guy and congratulations LaShawn. I, I don't have i don't i forget his last name but but uh, you know i'm sure that's a big win for him you know where to, is he from do you know i don't i'm you afraid don't you know last minute replacement right. and like and another thing yeah anyway like at some point I want to break down uh, what 
went like what, how, ways that lo, that local MMA cards can be improved just from a logistical thing, like in terms of getting the card out sooner, the order of the right. fights. But but that's not time uh, for you know that's not uh, that's not something that we're going to get into today. So anyway, it was a it was a fun night of fights. Like you would say that the most entertaining fight for you was the heavyweight fight. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's just unfortunate that it got stopped, but still really entertaining. Went back and forth for that first round. Yeah, I would have liked to you know and and so with that the other big event that was happening is a uh, huh, is it was a jujitsu match that I was supposed to. So I was supposed to be a part of a jiu-jitsu super fight card, and my good friends Tim McNamara and Alex Cummings, along with Chris Luter and some other people, actually did compete on that, the Elizabeth City, the uh, Extreme Submission Challenge. And hopefully we have Tim McNamara on the line right now to talk with us about that. Tim, are you on the line? I am on the line. Awesome. For those of you that let, now most people know Tim, who's been around for quite a while. If you don't know Tim, Tim is a judo black belt, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu purple belt, very active competitor, one of the most uh, cerebral and thoughtful uh, thinkers about jiu-jitsu that I know. And uh, can I plug your blog, or do you not want me to plug your blog? Uh, no, go ahead. You can, you can plug the blog. He's, he's got a terrific blog at zegrapples, Z-E-G-R-A-P-P-L-E-Z dot blogspot dot com. If you want to check out his thoughts on jiu-jitsu, uh, martial arts, and fighting generally. Um, so, uh, so knowing that Tim was was on the card last night, uh, who won by armbar, man, congratulations on that. Uh, wanted to have, yeah. yeah, man, it was. I'm I'm happy for you. Wanted to have Tim like recap uh, the event from his perspective and some of the some of the some of the events. So maybe we can start with your match and then expand to some of the other matches that were on the card. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, my match was against uh, Purple Belt from I think it's around Medan who battled Carioca. Um <clears throat> I uh, didn't know any, really much. Couldn't find anything online about him competing. Um, I could find that I think he had won an Aga event in the Nogi. Um, he had some MMA fights, but you know, I mean, those don't cross over to how he's going to do in a 15-minute sub-only match. Um, so had to kind of switch up my game plan at the last second. Um, but um, then to get him in close guard and kind of go to my you know series that I go to and got the armbar. So that was really kind of about how the match went. Awesome. It's it's always nice when a when a plan comes together like that. And so you rode out with Alex Cummings, who's a blue belt at Triangle Jiu Jitsu, and uh, you know obviously my roommate, one of my friends and good training partners as well. And Alex uh, won his match by flying triangle. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. For those of you who don't know, um, Alex is a submission hunter. Um, I think somebody kind of here. Alex had offered up that he and I should bet who would get the fastest submission, <laughs> and I knew that was a bet that I wouldn't take. Um, Alex, I mean, just goes out. With little regard for position, um, you know he has a he has a real dangerous game plan. Um, he's good at it, you know. So uh, he kind of stood with the guy for a little bit. The guy, you know, was kind of patient, and then Alex jumped or you know took flight and uh, locked in the triangle and got the finish. I think in maybe less than a minute off the top of my head, maybe like fifty six seconds. I can't remember exactly. So. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the, the, like, I want to ask about a couple of different uh, other guys and their matches as well, but I want to ask also your overarching impressions of the event and what, what was the most inter- what was the match of the night that you saw and were there any surprising results? Uh, the match of the night that I saw, um, and granted, I um, had a prior engagement back in Raleigh, so I left after, the, after Chris Leader's match. That was, I think, the 13th match out of 20. So I only saw a little bit over half the card, um, but... I did get to see um, kind of, I guess, a rematch of Anthony Elbert and DeAndre Corbre. Mm-hmm. They had a match um, back in Virginia Beach over the summer that, you know, everybody was going nuts. Um, they had a super-duper-duper-duper-duper-duper duper, 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 duper high-level 
uh, match of all kinds of transitions that uh, DeAndre won by a bow and arrow chip. I think Anthony, yeah, it's one of those, if you've rolled against DeAndre, you know that really if you make that first mistake, um, he's going to capitalize. Um, but up until that, it was even Stevens as far as I could tell. But I know they went pretty close to the 15 minutes, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I, you know, it was one of those, like, I wanted to pull out my camera. I wanted to go grab my camera to record it, but I didn't want to miss, you know, what was going on. Um, so that was, for me, out of the, the 13 matches I saw, that was by far, um, far and away the best match. Yeah, that's that's not surprising to me simply because like for for those of you that don't know, I was supposed to compete against DeAndre, but unfortunately I got the norovirus, which is unfortunate. And I want to thank and like and like I want to thank Anthony for stepping in at the last minute so that DeAndre could get a match because because you uh-huh. know I hate I really hate like really hate having to pull out at all, but especially having to pull out at the last minute. And so you know Anthony and, and DeAndre, right. but, yeah, it's it's just crappy and but like Anthony and DeAndre are both such awesome uh, competitors and so it was good to hear that they had uh, an, an exciting uh, match so I def- yeah. I also wanted to ask you about the, the Chris Luter match because Chris is a really fun mm-hmm. competitor to watch as well purple belt from Gracie Raleigh really high motor uh, what happened in his uh-huh. match um, um, really he, he was uh, I mean you could tell the guy the guy was a little bit shorter than him stockier looked like he, you know he was looking to kind of get underneath and shoot um, Wiener was kind of stiff-arming him with his right arm um, and left it there for too long, and the guy capitalized and hit a nice uh, flying arm bar. It's one of those, you know, you can reach over the back, or you can kind of control the ball with your elbow bent down, but, you know, if the guy's, if the guy's you know, dynamic and the guy believes in it, you know, he can, he can go for that flying arm bar if you're just kind of, you know, stiff-arming and kind of punching out with that grip, that thumb in the collar grip. Um, that's kind of what happened. So mm, That's unfortunate for Chris. But, you know, I'm sure he'll be back. Are there other? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, I know he's doing the sub only coming up. So, cool. Did in you Virginia Beach? So, were you able to watch JoJo Poteet's match with Marcel Fucci? I did. I did. It was. Uh, it was. It was, uh, it was very reminiscent of. Uh, I mean, this is like a super far-reaching comparison, but it was very uh, reminiscent of kind of Hoyler and Eddie Bravo, and that Marcel, you know, uh, was super insistent on getting to like the lockdown from half guard, which uh, no one was surprised by. Um, and then JoJo was on top uh, with good pressure, you know, trying to keep his back flat so he could work his knee up and then cut through. Um, and so it was kind of, uh, I mean, if, he, if it wasn't at times, I guess, the most aesthetically pleasing match, but if you know what you're watching, you know that, you know, the first guy who makes either Marcel's going to, you know, you know, use the, if, you know, if JoJo hadn't kept him flat, then JoJo would have been able to lift with, or Marcel would have been able to lift with the lockdown, get to the back, go to a leg lock. You know, so if you know you're watching, it's kind of like that. They're both doing exactly what they need to do. If you don't know what you're watching, it's kind of like, why is he, like, locking that guy's leg and just, like, staying there, mm-hmm. you know? So that was kind of really the bulk, the bulk of the match. Yeah, I understand exactly. Yeah, and like that was similar to, to Marcel's match with Dewan, and, like, I think a lot of matches mm-hmm. wind up looking like that where – uh, the tenth planet guy is is trying to to get underneath, um, and you mm-hmm. know. So, so uh, my understanding is there was no submission in that match, but they end up going to a sudden death round for the first where the first person to score points wins, and Marcel was able yeah, to score so they points. To, yeah, they go to like the golden golden score, sudden death, whatever you want to call it, um, and started you know kind of went out, started exactly the same. Marcel pulled, um, Jojo, you know, got stuck back in um, lockdown half guard whatever, you know, term there is, whatever nuance term there is for it. Um, but um, I forget, ex- I'm, I'm blanking out because you're asking me about it right now. If you hadn't asked, I'd probably tell you. Um, at some point, 
uh, Marcel managed to hit a sweep and come up on top, and that's the short version of what happened. Uh, probably about a minute in, so like the overtime, and so he won on the you know being the first one to score via sweep. That was how the match ended. So. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to call in and give us the recap. Are there are there other things of the event that you think that we should know about that I haven't asked about? Um, the biggest thing um, I would just say is that I know uh, we couldn't bring a lot of people. Um, from great, you know, Grace Rally had uh, Daniel Branch was supposed to fight at the convention center, and then his opponent, um, you know, failed to make catch weight. So we couldn't really bring. You know, we encouraged our guys just to support Daniel, you know, here in Raleigh. Um, but, um, you know, regardless of how you feel about who's putting on the event and other things, um, be able to continue to, you know, for it to be worth their time to put on events like we in the jiu-jitsu community need to support other events. And I know I'm guilty of that, too, at times, of not wanting to travel and, you know, I go to other parts of the state, even though North Carolina is not, like, a huge state in the grand scheme of things. So um, I definitely, um, you know, barring, like, barring, like, a previous commitment to something, you know, we as people who like jiu-jitsu, you know, which I don't. I don't think jujitsu has like that mass appeal that other sports that people grow up playing do. So if we want there to be events and avenues for even, and it's cool because I mean, there's like you know, there's events now that'll have blue belts competing and stuff like that. Whether you feel good or bad about that, um, but we need to like support those events that are you know an avenue or you know just a stage for us to compete on. You know, so that they'll continue to put these on. That would be my only, um, I guess, you know, my soapbox moment. So. I couldn't possibly agree more with you. You know, if you want to have a local fight shop, support your local fight shop. If you want to have awesome local jujitsu cards, get out and support your local jujitsu cards. Well, Tim, congrats again on the armbar victory. I know we'll see you competing again soon. Um, and thanks a lot for calling. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot for calling in. I appreciate it. Right on, man. Have a great day. All right. Take care, Jay. So, so my thanks to Tim for calling in, and my congratulations to everybody who competed on that card. Um, and it, it sounds like it re- went really well, and uh, and I look forward to at least watching and hopefully competing on the next one. So, folks, the calendar is about to turn to March, and we're going to do something a little different for this next segment because we're going to do something a little different in March, and we're going to get it started like this. For my favorite martial arts movie, I have to go with classic Jean-Claude Van Damme of uh, Bloodsport. It's pretty amazing. If I had to come up with one off the top of my head right now, it'd be Ombak. Roadhouse. Favorite martial arts movie has to be First Strike, Jackie Chan. Just like the whole fight scene with the ladder that he has in there. It's pretty badass. Bloodsport, without a doubt. Let's go. True legend. Vision Quest. Wrestling, it is a fighting art, and it is the wrestling movie. Gotta be Bloodsport gotta be blood sport it's a big mess you got a true villain overcoming adversity and an uneven fighting service it doesn't get any better so that's right folks it's march and we're having martial martial arts mar- sorry if, easy for me to say march martial arts movie madness we here at the concussion cast are going to find out what the greatest martial arts movie of all time is or at least this year, with a bracket challenge similar to the March Madness NCAA bracket. So uh, this week on Facebook, we took a poll, and I've been going around to local gyms asking people what their favorite martial arts movie is, and we have selected 32 of those, uh, and we're going to have a bracket challenge for you guys, and here's how it's going to work. First of all, this week, we're going to do a bonus podcast that's a selection show with seedings of all the different movies, 1 through 32. I am the selection committee, so uh, if you have any problems, you can come beat me up. Most of you that are listening can. Uh, 
Um, I like, like I, I'll give you one spoiler, Chris. Can you guess from from the sound clip that I just played what the number one overall seed is? I was gonna say Bloodsport, which I have not seen. Ah, oh, see, the, <laughs> this is the problem. Like, so it, we love having intern Chris on the show, but one of the problems is how many of the of the of the thirty two selected movies have you actually seen, Chris? Probably five tops. <laughs> oh my gosh. So so we're gonna so as part of your UNC Wilmington or ECU education, I'm gonna require them to make you watch the other twenty seven. So Trevor has also seen the bracket, and there's a lot of tough calls throughout. I'm basically going to sit down with Trevor tomorrow, and we're going to do a selection show where we explain why the seeds happened, where the brackets are. We're going to post the bracket to Facebook so you can check those out. And we'll post that bonus show to SoundCloud, iTunes, and the Facebook page on Wednesday. So before we get into our featured interview with Steve Hall, I want to talk about how this contest is going to work. So please check this out. You can win some prizes. We're going to have some fun during the month of March uh, watching martial arts movies. And for those of you who are fans of Bloodsport, I have one or two really exciting surprises for you that you're going to want to keep tuned to the podcast for. So if you like Bloodsport, we're going to have two pretty surprising things that I think you're going to enjoy. So the way, the way the bracket challenge is going to work, for the first three rounds, a tightly focused committee is going to vote on who wins. So let's say Bloodsport matches up with the Warriors in the first round. We'll have that committee vote on who wins. If you would like to be on the mighty committee of five that selects which martial arts movie wins, hit me up at cagesidewhoop at gmail.com. For the final four, we're going to have a listener vote. So we're going to put the final four online where the listeners will vote on who wins. Um, so why does it matter who wins, you might ask? Chris, you should ask that right now. Why does it matter who wins? Good question, Chris. Well, there's one reason. There's two reasons. One is that it'll be fun, and that's the only actual reason. But the second reason is we're going to give away a lot of fun gear. We're going to give away concussion cast shirts. We're going to give away gi patches. We're going to give away for the concussion cast carnival, which is coming up May 1st, that you should all make plans to attend. Um, we're going to give away free balls for the dunk tank and the right to pick the first person that you dunk. So depending on how many entries we get for this contest, we're going to have prizes for at least the top three brackets, probably the top five, maybe even more. So we're going to have a ton of prizes. Um, and so check it out. The show will be posted on Wednesday. The bracket will be posted on Wednesday. I'll send brackets around. So fill out a bracket and enter. Chris, do you want to say something about filling out brackets? Like You, you probably have experience filling out NCAA brackets, right? Yes, for sure. I just definitely need to start binge-watching these movies before I can make my decision. I was definitely happy to see The Karate Kid, though, because I grew up watching that. As well you should have. As well you should have. Everyone should grow up watching The Karate Kid. I think it should be sent to suburban homes like packets of Tide. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. So, Chris, so, so folks, uh, more information about that is going to be posted on our Facebook page. It's not quite March yet, so we can't post the show just yet. But Wednesday we'll post a bonus podcast that has all the details about the contest, so please check it out. Please participate. The more people that participate, the more fun we're going to have. And speaking of fun, I had a blast at the Hoist Gracie Network gathering uh, yesterday on Saturday, so thanks again to Billy Dowie and everybody at Forged for hosting that. And I want to especially thank Steve Hall, who is the subject of our featured interview, and we're going to play that right now. So for those of you that don't know Steve, Steve is the owner of Fight to Win Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Charlotte. He also has several affiliates. Steve is a second-degree black belt. Uh, he's under Hoist Gracie. His instructor, as you'll hear, is Charles Dos Anjos. He's also the head referee for the North American Grappling Association, NAGA, and he's one of the earliest black belts in North Carolina and also one of the earliest black belts the hoist gave, period. He also has an experience in a, a broad array of martial arts from ju ju for obviously jiu-jitsu, judo, American wrestling. He got his start striking, as you'll hear in the interview. 
and uh, has some great old MMA fighting stories back before uh, some of the more modern regulations. And so I was really excited to interview Steve, and I think that you all are going to enjoy this interview, and I sure hope that you do. So my thanks to Steve Hall for uh, for taking the time, and my thanks to everybody who sat and listened to me interview Steve waiting for lunch yesterday. Why did you first start training jiu-jitsu? Um, I was into taekwondo. I started when I was about 11 years old, and I trained for about roughly 10 years, was really competitive, um, loved it. You know, it was awesome. Um Bruce Lee, Van Dam, everything, Karate Kid, you know, you, you name it, I was part of it. Uh, and then Hoist Gracie came along and kicked ass in the UFC back in 93. Uh, at that point, uh, we didn't have a whole lot of exposure to it. I was up in the up on the eastern shore of Maryland, and um, we ended up, uh, my instructor at the time was a real traditional karate guy. He ended up going back to school to get his master's degree. My, uh, the guy that he left uh, to take over for him was Golden Gloves boxer in the Army, was a real tough guy. He was actually doing some underground fighting back in the 80s and was just a badass. But at that point, if they went to the ground, they stood back up. You know? And so he's actually the one that brought the exposure in. He, he went over to Steve Maxwell's place, Maxercise, up in Philly. And for us, it was about a three, three and a half hour drive. And we would drive, this is back probably 95-ish, we would drive three and a half hours, go train for three hours, and then drive three and a half hours back. And this was as often as we could do it, which ended up being sometimes once a week, uh, sometimes once a month. Um, and it just was very hard to train like that back then. So we ended up just uh, beating the crap out of each other in our living room, you know, rug burns and, and bumps and bruises everywhere. And then I moved down to Florida to go to school. And it just happened to be that uh, uh, initially I ended up in Tampa. I found a guy in Tampa, Kerry King, who um, he was a, a Hickson affiliate. And then when I moved, eventually moved down to Sarasota, there was a school that he had gone to a couple of months earlier for a uh, health seminar. And I just happened to be five minutes away from that place. And that's where I am now. That's where my instructor is now. At that point, uh, we were an affiliate of Marcio Simas under Gracie Baja. Uh, Bill Murphy was my instructor. Uh, when I was a purple belt, uh, Bill was diagnosed with leukemia. And of course it was a big shock to all of us. Um, but, uh, he ended up bringing in um, Charles de Sanjos from northern Brazil, from Recife, Brazil, who was uh, an instructor in Baja, who at that point, and he, he's instructed the Estima brothers. You know, he was, he, he was on top of his game, an amazing competitor. Um, didn't speak a whole lot of English at that point, but, man, he was a god to us because we had a purple belt as an instructor at that point, and, and we ended up getting this black belt that changed everything and this was back uh i started in sarasota in 98 uh purple belt so it would have been right around 2000 when um charles came in and um bill went to fight his battle with cancer and he's still doing well he's got a couple of kids and is is just a badass and he's on the mat and he's training uh he's been in remission for quite a while um and charles is still down in sarasota running his school and i think we have probably 30 black belts out of that school now which is just badass and i try to get down there a couple of times a year to go train and go see those guys and see my instructors and you know it's it's that's it i mean it's been it's been a hell of a ride and ended up up in north carolina about nine years ago 
you're one of Hoist Gracie's earliest black belts here in America, is that right? Yes, that's correct. Um, there were three runs where the first run, there was the original six. Um, I think there were six. Um, and then I think he promoted uh, two more, and then uh, myself and Tony were the next two, so we were nine and ten. Um, so, yeah, we were... At that point, I was at uh, Gracie, Miami, which is where he does the black belt training now, or the black belt testing now. Uh, but the test was very, very different. Uh, I was in the back room with uh, Guillermo, uh, Guillermo uh, Valenci, and it was just me and him, with me and Guy in the back. And at that point, it was like a spotlight on top of us, and he was such a badass. You know, he... Um, was very kind to me <laughs> that uh, I, I didn't know my self-defense anywhere near the way the guys know it now. But it was the same thing. We were learning out of a book. So it was very, very different back then. Um, that now, you know, my guys coming up now have me to bounce ideas off of. So they're, they're, the level is different. Those guys know the self-defense way better than I did back then. But we went through all the self-defense listed in the book. Uh, I, I limped through the weapons. Um, but we made it. And then when we got done, Hoist was out teaching a seminar. And there were probably 20 brown belts on the mat. And um, Tony and I were the smallest ones out there. And Tony's considerably smaller than I was. And Man, I went out there, we rolled for probably an hour and 20 minutes, and it was 10-minute rounds, and I went for the biggest guy every 10 minutes, and it was terrible, and it was great at the same time. I mean, I got my ass kicked so bad that day that I, I couldn't walk for two weeks after that, but it was, it was a hell of a feeling, it was a hell of an experience, and I wouldn't change it. It was cool. Uh, the process now for the testing is very, very different. Uh, the guys have a lot more... Uh, moral character that they have to get through a lot more scenario based stuff that they have to get through uh the test is not i wouldn't say that it's better or worse now it's just different uh and the guys now have to work very 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 hard for it um back then we were just just tough <laughs> just everybody all the original hoist gracie guys are just absolutely tough as nails not to say that the guys now aren't uh but that was the criteria back then was just be tough <laughs> so we knew the self-defense because it was definitely a requirement for my belt um and that was one thing for me i fought it and i fought it hard for because my instructor gave me the choice when i was a brown belt whether or not i wanted to go get the belt from hoist and the requirement was to learn a self-defense the same as it is now and i didn't want to learn it and, man, I learned it anyway. And I tell you, you know, there's a lot of controversy over what the self-defense is. And it's awesome. You know, it has changed my jiu-jitsu all the way around. And I can't stress enough how important it is. And I try to transla translate that to my students as much as I can, that it all is the same thing. There is no difference. You know, people separate the sport and the self-defense, and it really is the same thing if, if you know how to translate it. I've always thought that the sport self-defense distinction was mostly artificial, and if you approach it in a way that it sort of adheres to the fundamentals, that that you can you know certainly merge the two. I'm wondering, like listening to you talk about the early days, would you say the biggest difference is the access to le learning resources that guys have now? Like, what's the biggest difference between the guys you see coming up now <laughs> versus when you came up? YouTube, a hundred percent. When I came up. Uh, we were just talking about it, that when I came up, we had seminars and we had VCRs, and that was it. 
And if you were lucky enough to get a bootleg copy of some video of Mario Sperry's Master Series or, or one of the other big ones that was out at that time, there were very, very few of them available. Uh, Leo Zeno's uh, uh, Dynamic Jiu-Jitsu, I think, was, was one of the first ones that I really changed what I was doing. And we, we were lucky that I had a very affluent school, and the guys that ran the school had other careers and had a lot of money. And we were lucky that we, had to, we got the opportunity to bring in a lot of really world-class black belts at the time. Those t- it, 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 it would be like today bringing in like the Mendez brothers and bringing in, you know, Galvao and those guys. Like that's what we had available to us. And we would bring them in for, you know, a weekend or a couple of weeks at a time. And we were very lucky to be able to do that. And that's where we got a lot of our techniques from. And, oh, man, I was hungry for it. And uh, we had a library of VHS tapes at our school. And I would take... 10 of them at a time and stay up all night and watch them over and over and over again and, and trying to get as much as, as, I, as I could from that. But the most, the, most of it was just trial and error. We just, we got into the gym and we just beat each other up. And, um, like I said, you know, when, when, when Bill was there, Bill was our, he was one of the first like really good purple belts in the U S and, uh, American purple belts. And, uh, you know, he was just amazing and, and he brought such a, a neat environment to the, to, to the team, but the difference in technique from having this purple belt and then this black belt come in, it, it was incredible just to get the exposure of the day to day to a guy that was a true black belt. And, you know, it was unheard of to really have even a couple of purple belts and much less a black belt in the team. And so now, you know, my team, my regular classes, I have 10 to 15 purple belts on the mat every night. You know, it's insane. So these guys are exposed to so much more than what I had available. And so, you know, keeping them a little bit off of YouTube is hard to do. You know, these guys want these these techniques from these guys that are black belts. And I, and I have a problem with that because I think the fundamentals are really what's more important because you see – if you look at percentages, like in the Mundials, the, the highest percentage finishes are, are arm bars and rear naked chokes. You know, it's not flying omoplatas and, and all these other crazy moves that these guys are doing. And the ones that are pulling off these crazy moves are guys that are fundamentally sound. These guys are world-class black belts. They're not just one-hit wonders. So you have these, these sport-based generation guys that are coming up very specialized and very, very good at that. But if you get somebody that can pull them out of that game, it really blows them apart. So, you know, to me, if you close your mind to any of it, you're foolish. You know, I mean, I I love grappling. Grappling is grappling. You know, you're talking wrestling. We're talking sambo, judo, jujitsu, you know, any of it. If it's grappling, it's all the same thing. It's it's based on balance, leverage, and and principles of of what jujitsu is. And so, you know, the self-defense leads right into that. There's, there's really no difference. And if you're going to close your mind to it, the only person you're really hurting is yourself. You also have uh, an MMA career and that you hold one of the records or co-hold one of the records in Florida, the longest fight, 48 minute, no break MMA fight. And what did, what did your time uh, training and doing MMA? what, What did that do for you as an instructor? And what are your big memories from that? Well, I, I, I did it the wrong way, how a lot of people do. Um, my first MMA fight, uh, I had three months of jiu-jitsu training, like real training. And uh, I ended up getting a guy that uh, he shot a sloppy double leg on me and I guillotined him. And I had, you know, like I said, I come from a striking background, so I was very confident in my striking background, especially back in, you know, this was late 90s. So there was still a separation. There wasn't any, like, really 
clean MMA schools like there are now with really talented overall schools, you know. And so I got away with it back then. And, and the Florida circuit was still very tight. Um, everybody that fought fought on the same cards everywhere all over the state. So, you know, I still keep in touch with a lot of guys that I fought with back then. Um, and it was a very tight circuit, just like jiu-jitsu is now, but even more so because the MMA group was smaller and, you know, there were not a lot of guys that really fought a lot. And the ones that were were very hungry to fight. And so we traveled a lot and so we got to see each other all over the place um yeah that fight in particular was uh it was a it was an eight-man bracket which again is illegal in the u.s you can't do that in the u.s anymore due to you know regulations from the boxing commission and whatnot um so you know that there's that and there was the weight class was 170 and under and 171 and up and I was in the 170 and under, and it just happened to be that the guy, the guy that I fought first, was a good friend of mine, and he he's a good friend still, and and uh, he's good black belt out of South Florida. Uh, that he came in at like uh, the weight class was 170 and under, and he came in at like I think 185, and he was supposed to be at one. 69 or 170 and i was like you know what i don't care i came to fight let's go and uh it ended up being a war i mean it was half on the feet and half on the ground and it was it was a good fight and uh i got a i got an easy guy the second round um and again you know it was no time limit which they can't do anymore so there's all these rules that change what was nhb to now the sport of mma and you know i it was more pure back then. It was more fun. I mean, we did this in a gym. It wasn't in a ring. It wasn't in a cage. You know, it was in somebody's gym. In my second fight, I ended up fighting uh, for a minute and a half. And then for the for the belt, the finals, uh, I fought Marcos Avalon. And Marcos and I are still pretty good friends. And, uh, you know, we, we fought for another 18 minutes. And then I just didn't have anything left. And, you know, I still I still bug him every time I see him. I'm like, when are we going to fight for that belt again? <laughs> And we just have a laugh at it. I mean, obviously, you know, he's doing his thing. I'm doing mine. He went off to ADCC, and now I just teach. <laughs> but I still try to compete every now and again. And I actually just did a submission only last year that ended up being a, an hour and 20 minutes against another good friend that I came up with, uh, Nakapan, who also world-class black belt. So that was a very entertaining match to watch in that, like, two really technical guys, guys that have been around a long time, Nakapan, as you said, really, really top-level guy. Yeah. Um, so... What's the difference for you in competing some uh, like true submission only, like U.S. Grappling does it, versus some of the other rule sets? I came up wanting to be like Hoyce. I mean, that was it. You know, I came up because of the UFC. I wanted to fight, and you know, like I said, I, I I've got a pro amateur MMA record, and I came up only doing this for that. Uh, back in the '90s, we were we had an old school school. There was no nogi. We took our gi top off. We were doing noki, and that meant we were striking. You know, there was no submission wrestling. It didn't exist. And so, you know, if, if some of the guys had shorts, but they were like bathing suits. You know, we didn't have like board shorts like we do now and no rash guards. You know, you took your shirt off and you went no gi and that was it. And we beat the hell out of each other. And that was the, that was the only point of doing it. And, uh, you know, I still feel like, you know, that some of that is lost. Um, but the sport now is awesome. It's, it's very, it's evolved a lot. It's very technical. Um, but I'm not, I've never been the athlete that a lot of these guys are. So that shorter time limit 
is tougher, you know, especially with my mindset. My mindset is if the other guy is bigger than me, I got to grind him down. You know, I'm not going to go and beat somebody that's got 100 pounds on me by jumping on them and breaking their arm. I got to wear them out a little bit. I got to get them tired. You know, I got to pepper them up. And then hopefully I can catch them because I'm going to beat them through cardio and, t- and through better technique. If I can weather the storm, that's all I need. You know, and I, and I still train that way. You know, that's the way it is in our gym. So when, when we have like an open mat, we don't really, we don't have to put short time on the, on the rounds, you know, the, we leave it open and we'll roll for 45 minutes, an hour. And it's not unusual to stay with the same person that long. If you're having a good match, you know, if you're beating the hell out of each other and, you know, I still like to train that way. So, uh, the, the shorter time limit, you know, Naga's a tough one because the time limits are even shorter, at least with like the IBJJF, the black belts get 10 minutes. But 10 minutes still goes by very quickly, uh, especially if it's a tight match, if the guys are very close, closely skilled. And so this is where you get these guys fighting for advantages, which is the exact opposite of why I started. You know, I wanted to kill people. You know, I wanted to break their necks and break their arms. I didn't want to get an advantage. You know? <laughs> and so it, it's it's different mindset. And these guys really fight for having that athleticism and, and having that explosiveness of playing the game. And I'm not against playing the game. But... If you're going to play the game, you play the game to win, you know, but I'm still a purist. You know, I like to fight. You know, I like to see who's better, not see who can win in a takedown match. (laughs) So obviously you still think a lot about competition. You still compete yourself and a lot of your guys compete. You also have a ton of upper belts, including uh, you have black belts under you now. And, And what's that like for you? As you know, we talked about John Plyler before the interview. What's it like to sort of watch your guys sort of come into their own as upper belts instructors? What's that? What's that like for you? Uh, it's bittersweet. It means I'm getting old. <laughs> um, man, I love these guys. You know, they're family. Uh, John's phenomenal. Um, I got lucky when I got John under my wing. He's he's great. Um, it does. I mean, I got. There's a lot of guys. You know, I've been a I've been a black belt for. 10 years. And there's a lot of guys that started the, when I got my black belt that are black belts now, you know, which is strange. It's a, it's a strange feeling, but man, there are a lot of guys above me that are way deeper into this than I am. And those guys still train and they still help each other out. And, uh, that's what I want to do. I want to see these guys be successful. You know, that's my job now. Um, I, I do still like to compete. I'm, I'm dealing with, body issues you know I'm getting older and my body's not staying together like it used to uh falling apart I got some pretty pretty long-term injuries and so I don't have the desire to compete that I do I mean it's still there but uh, there's a fear now that wasn't there before and the fear is not losing the fear is getting injured and you know that that's such a terrible feeling because it's never been there before uh but it's one that I have to I have to be real with you know, and so uh, I have wound down my competition schedule, and so I'm focused a little bit more on everybody else and helping them out. Um, but it's it's neat to see these guys grow, and I and I want to grow my team with my guys that want to be under me. You know, these guys are not under me because I force them to be. That it's a it's an open relationship. If they want to go and do their own thing, that's fine. But I try to create an environment where these guys come in and they they want to expand my brand, our brand, our team. You know, and they want to be a part of what we're doing. And so uh, with that attitude, uh, most of them are, are great with it. And John's a, a f- flying example of that, you know, where, where he, he swings the flag proudly and uh, is, is 
everything that I could want him to be and more. Um, like I said, he, he went down to Miami and tested uh, the, the, the way they're doing it now, and I couldn't have been more proud of what he did. You know, he, he kicked ass down there. You mentioned some of your injuries, and like you have a longstanding issues with your hand. And one of the things that that happened last year is the jiu-jitsu community kind of came together to throw a big seminar. And I think I think John organized that. I don't know exactly how that came about, and I'd like you to talk about it a little bit. But like it was kind of cool to see all these really really gifted black belts. You know, Gibson Saw. You know, my instructor Seth Champ. Uh, you know, a bunch of other guys come together and, and 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 teach and like sort of come together and like show solidarity with that and i, I was just wondering what that what that was like for you to 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 be a part of that man it was it was crazy you know uh it's hard uh it's hard not to get a little emotional about it um those guys were awesome um that was a big turning point in my life um I didn't know if I was going to be on the mat again after that. Uh, that uh, the the community really came together for me, and it was you know it was really badass. And 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 John spearheaded it. And John, you know, when the injury first happened, uh, um, my I've had problems. My arm, I've got a neuromuscular disease, and my that's taken all the muscle out of my right arm. And this has been longstanding since I was about 18 years old is when it started. So I've really started focusing on jujitsu when I was about 22. And so um, when I popped my neck, this has been uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, I popped my neck training with one of my guys, and my arm completely shut off, you know, it just, it, it didn't work at all. And it's still, even today, it's probably 60% of what it was before that injury. So I'm still struggling with it, but, um, it's gotten a lot better. Uh, the, the, the community has really come together and stood behind everything that we were doing. So, um, it, it was really a kick in my pants to see how valuable what I do is. You know, that these are guys that I try to stay friends with all of my competitors. I try to stay friends because the jiu-jitsu community is still very globally small and very tight. And I have friends literally all over the world because of what I've done with, you know, with hoist and with jiu-jitsu and with naga and with refereeing and everything. And so, you know, it's, it's really been an amazing experience. Uh, but I didn't realize, you know, how much I really affect everybody else. You know, and to have these guys all come together for me is just mind blowing because it's usually me on the other side. You know, I'm used to coming in and, and doing this for somebody else. And I've always been very happy to and for the right reasons, because I want to see people be successful and 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 be happy and and be able to train. And so to to have the community come together for what that was, was mind blowing. You know, it's hard to put into words. Um, and since then, uh, man, I've been, I've been busting my ass. Uh, it was a major turning point. Um, I was, uh, in pain management and man, taking painkillers and, uh, every day taking high doses of painkillers just to get by. And, uh, it was tough, man. It was. I had a really tough run because my back was really giving me a lot of problems. I was having trouble. I'd bend over to brush my teeth and couldn't get back up. And, you know, through everything that happened, I've been off painkillers for two over two years now. And, uh, you know, for me it was those guys showed me I have a responsibility to them. 
because I can't tell other people what to do without doing it myself. You know, I, there's no way that I can be a leader and still be a hypocrite, you know? And so, man, I've changed my diet. I've been, I put on about 20 pounds of muscle. Um, I've been hitting the gym consistently. Um, one of my students, uh, Manuel McCall has been kicking my ass in the gym and I, and I couldn't do it without him. You know, he's been really holding, holding me accountable. And, uh, you know, I thank him every day. Uh, we're still doing that and pushing hard. Um, I ended up, uh, getting a muscle stimulation machine like Bruce Lee used to wear, you know, back in the day. Uh, and I put that on my arm to try to get some of that muscle back and uh, a couple of things, man. It's been, you know, a lot of chiropractic and some, um, all kinds of stuff. The, the original idea was for me to get some stem cell work done. Um, but that hasn't come up yet. It's still on the table, but the problem with it is, is that, uh, stem cells are not a direct science and there are other things that can go wrong with it. And one of the problems with it is possible teratomas. So I can actually get cancer from stem cells. So it really is the last thing that I want to do. So I'm really pushing every other avenue to try to get better and get healthy and right now i'm as happy as i've ever been you know i'm in good shape uh uh, my arm like i said it's not as strong as it used to be i can't hold my body weight up with it but it doesn't hurt i'm not in pain you know like i said i've been off painkillers for a long time and uh my diet's good and and the team's kicking ass and i couldn't be happier well that's a that's a that's great news and it's a great note to end on do you have any final thoughts you want to share with people just train, you know, training's been amazing. Like I said, I mean, I'm, I'm the success story. I got a, I got one arm that doesn't work, so there's no excuses, you know, and, and the community stands behind all of us, you know, and so my job is to see people succeed and see people do better and, and reach their own potential. And so that's why we do it. So there's no reason not to be a part of it. So that's it. <laughs> train. So that's our interview with Hoist Crazy Black Belt Steve Hall. I had a lot of fun conducting that interview. Steve is the owner of Fight to Win Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Charlotte, North Carolina, as well as a second-degree black belt. And I hope you enjoyed those stories as much as I enjoyed talking with Steve about them. So I want to thank Steve for his time. I want to thank Billy and Billy Dowie and Forged for organizing the first Hoist Crazy Network uh, get-together gathering. I know they're going to have another one in about a month in Charlotte, and so we'll keep you posted on when that is as well. Um, Our guest next week is Jason Farrell. He's going to talk to us about Muay Thai. And so if you're interested in striking, you'll want to tune in for that. Um, So a couple things that I want to highlight for Uh, y'all. First of all, come back on Wednesday for a bonus podcast. You can't hear that on whoopfm.org, but you will be able to hear it on our iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher feeds. So check that out. Please participate. Um, This martial arts movie madness thing is going to be really fun. It'll give you an excuse to, if nothing else, watch a bunch of old awesome kung fu uh, and uh, fighting and jujitsu movies. It'll also give you a chance to win some great prizes and engage with us. And finally, please, on your calendar, May 1st, the Concussion Cast Carnival. It's going to be a really fun day. We're booking 8 to 10 awesome jiu-jitsu super fights. I have seven set up, and we're going to start announcing more of those this week. We already announced our co-main event, Black Belt Match, between Caitlin Huggins and Samantha Fallhaber. And we're going to have a bunch of other matches, including Black Belt Matches, including Dunk Tanks, Carnival Games, 
great food trucks, a really fun day out at the Durham Farmer's Market. So please hold May 1st and uh, hit us up with any questions. So my thanks to intern Chris and my congratulations to him on getting into college and advancing his education. My thanks as always to Trevor Hayes and to you, everyone else who listens. Please uh, continue to listen to the show. Uh, We have a blast making it and we always appreciate your support. So I'm Jeff Shaw. This is the Cage Side Concussion Cast and we will see you all next week. Thank you.